This is Subjective Comedy Podcast with Corey Miller and Brad Scott because what do two guys with a failed podcast need? Another podcast no one will listen to. Maybe if my dad put this much time into his act, Bob and Tom would have had him on. Anyways, here's Subjective Comedy Podcast. Legendary comedy set, my opinion, the greatest comedy set of all time. Uh, what is considering a new classic, and we're also going to talk about a club that I just worked recently in Alabama, and uh, that might be about it. Felt like there was something else, but we'll see. So this is the Subjective Comedy Podcast. I'm your host. Brad Scott, I'm a stand-up comedian based out of Indianapolis, and I'm joined by producer and co-host and internet office guy, Corey Miller. Hello. And he is an internet office guy. I am. Uh, what, is, what exactly is an internet office guy? Or no, wait, you're an insurance office yeah. guy. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. Uh, but you use the internet. I do. So you're, you're an internet insurance office guy. Yeah. Uh, I-I-O-G. Ah, I-I-O-G. I-I-O-G. Double I-O-G. I yoga. Sounds almost like an insurance commercial. Double yeah. I O G. Okay, so we're gonna start with uh, a club I recently worked in Alabama. It's a club called Stand Up Live, not affiliated with the Phoenix location, but uh, which I thought it was. I thought it was like a part of a chain. I was it confused by that. Yes, it is not. It is a standalone club, and holy shit. So we recently talked about uh, I had started a comedy not started a comedy club. I was kind of taking over a comedy club in Indianapolis. It didn't pan out, but basically it was weird because it was like then that was like a week or two after that fell through. I was at this club in Alabama, and I saw what my vision was of how I wanted to run my the, the showroom, the show, and you know and treat the comics employees and stuff, I saw the same vision that I had had. Right. Being executed. Mm-hmm. And man, this place was amazing. It is, like, it's phenomenal how good this club is run. Everyone from the person that works at the door, from the people that bust the tables, all the way up to the manager, is just, loves comedy, wants to have a, you know, successful club, wants to put on a good show, wants to make the experience great. And there's so much, like you just tell they care, which is the common theme I'm finding in clubs that are successful. The clubs that care and put in the effort, have a little bit of forward thinking, always seem to be successful. Because I used to hear a lot of excuses from a lot of people in Indianapolis that the reason clubs are struggling right now is because, well, all clubs are struggling. And this is a New York or L.A. or Chicago even with, you know, so as far as the market size. Mm-hmm. Okay, well. I think the smallest show we had was the Sunday show, which was a like dinner show. Mm-hmm. They had a four-course meal served with the show. So tickets were pricier, 
we were still probably at 40 or 50 people, and that's a Sunday. Yeah. The smallest crowd we had before that was probably a little over 100, maybe 150 or so. It's I don't know. I'm not good at that. I know it was about three quarters of the way full was one of the smaller crowds. Is 44 a Sunday show large anyway? Pretty much. Yeah. There's not a lot of Sunday shows left anymore, but to be honest. Most clubs don't do them. I wouldn't think. I wouldn't think. I think it would be like a normal weekday show where people are like, oh, I got to work the I next was day. There uh, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. And we did two shows Friday, two shows Saturday. Mm-hmm. And. It was incredible. Like like I said, three quarters of whatever that room seats, three quarters of the way full was a was like a like on the smaller side. It was usually like the the weekend shows, like Thursday was packed. And then the weekend shows were like the very back row, there'd be some seats missing. Mm-hmm. But for the most part it was all full. And it was incredible. And okay, so here's here's how much I wanted to just kind of get into this southern market. As far as comedy goes, I've done some shows there. I did a showcase at this club uh, a few months back with Rachel Goldman from Indianapolis. Mm -hmm. And uh, I contacted the person uh, that had booked me for that. And she's like, because I had a fallout. So I was like, "Ah, I need to try to replace this. I was like, hey, do you have anything? She's like, oh, actually, I need a host if you want to host. And I was like, I drove six hours to host. To host? To host because I just wanted to get my foot in the door. I'm always telling people, you know, younger comics and newer comics, like sometimes it's what you have to do to, you know, to get your foot in the door mm-hmm. and to try to make, you know, make a, a relation, build a relationship. And I'm so glad I did. I'm so glad. First of all, like they paid pretty well for a host. Mm-hmm. I made money on that trip without selling any merchandise the whole week because I, even if, the, by the way, I guarantee you because both uh, Julie Scoggins and Josh Phillips were awesome. And I've worked with Josh Phillips before in Oklahoma City, and he's super nice, and we get along. Had I asked him, like, hey, I'm, you know, money, I'm kind of tight on money. Would it be okay if I sold? They probably would have let me, but I wasn't going to ask. Mm-hmm. Um, just I I've, I have that mentality that was drilled in me when I started that, like, ah, as a host, unless it's, like, a rare circumstance, you don't sell. Right. So I was going in just getting the check that I would get from the club. Mm-hmm. And, man, they took care of me all weekend, first of all. Like, my food was pretty much taken care of through them. Uh, I don't drink, but, like, all my Red Bulls, bottled water, all that stuff is comped. And I, I know it sounds ridiculous to mention even bottled water, but trust me, I have been handed a check or two for bottled water. Well, that's ridiculous. Absolutely. So, it was my, the like I said, the, the mentality I had for running a comedy club was like, well... I'm a comic. I've been on the road all these years, and I've noticed like the things that stand out to me the most are the clubs that I enjoy working the most are the ones that just treat me nice and that are just like treat me like I'm important because so often this business makes you feel like you're just expendable and replaceable. Mm-hmm. So when clubs go out of their way to make you feel important, it's a big deal, and that's exactly what they did. I was the host, and I got treated like, uh, you know, like a, a a rock star the whole weekend. So hookers and blow. Oh well, yeah. Okay, but that's pretty standard that's for most clubs. <laughs> but they didn't give me a bill for it. <laughs> okay, great. It was all comped, all the strippers <laughs> and blow. No, there was none of that. Unfortunately, uh, I don't think I, that's me, anyways. To be honest, anymore. That was me early twenties on the road before I had a kid and everything. Now, now it's just hookers. <laughs> nah, neither. To be honest, even the hookers, because I'm just like. I mean, if it's comped, I think about <laughs> it. 
But if not, definitely no. And then if, even if it was comp, I'd still kind of be like, oh, but I'm probably going to have to like, talk to her. <laughs> does, she, does she go away when she's done? I mean, that's what Charlie Sheen always said, man. I love that motto. I don't pay for sex. I pay for them to leave afterwards. <laughs> um, so anyways, back to the club. It's, first of all, it's a really cool setup because you go from the green room, you open a door to go to the stage. I love that. Mm-hmm. Uh, Mark Ridley's Comedy Castle in uh, Royal Oak, Detroit, Michigan area has the same thing. But there's like a big, like you would think a castle door would be. Uh, this is just a normal door. But then they also have a TV in the green room that is feeding in the feed of the show, mm-hmm. which I love as well. Because uh, I like to watch the show, but I don't like to sit out in the crowd. Right. Especially if I'm a feature and I had a really good set, I almost immediately get out of the room because I've had way too many times where like people that are kind of drunk will be super loud and just wanting to tell me, hey, that was great, or you're fucking horrible. But they say it really loud and it's distracting. Yeah. So I usually kind of beeline and get out of the room, give everybody a chance to settle. Because that's it's not my part of the show anymore. Well, I, I want to focus on the headliner. I don't sell merchandise during it. I will if I'm working with someone I know who's like, yeah, you, you're poor. Make money if you can. <laughs> But under normal circumstances, I usually say on stage, like, don't ask me during the headliner set because I don't do business then uh, well, after the show. I was going to say it's kind of it's kind of like uh, when you if you compare it to like a a rock a, a concert like a rock concert, yeah, where you know you got the opener, they leave the stage and then they go back to their green room or their bus or whatever, and they they may stand off to the side of the stage and watch, but you know with you you know with comics you can't really do. I mean, that. it depends on the club. Like certain clubs, it's it's very easy, and you can kind of just sneak in the back and sit or whatever. But sometimes, like especially bar shows, everything's all in that room. There's no real green room, right? And that's when usually I'll just step outside and smoke or something. Mm-hmm. And it's a lot of times, or like if it's in between shows, I'll call Harper or something and just Facetime with her mm-hmm. uh, for a few minutes. But it's it's more just getting away from from this from the situation, right? Because it's it's I feel like it's just. I've just been there too many times. Somebody, you just think you're shaking somebody's hand real quick and you say thank you, but then they want to tell you about how they're from Indiana or blah, 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 and it's this loud conversation that's now distracting, and it's just... I got this funny joke. Let me tell you this joke. And I will say this. If it the if the situation is where I'm selling in a different room, right, and let's say it's like 10 minutes left to the headliner, 15 minutes left, whatever, and somebody's like... Hey, we're leaving, and they're like in the process of like. By the way, don't do this. If you go to a comedy show, stay for the whole thing. Yeah, why would you I don't, don't realize how much people think it's just like, oh, well, they'll just go ring me up real quick. It's like, well, no, these servers most of the time, every like a comedy show is timed down to the second. Mm-hmm. So most of the time, these servers are doing things that have to be done at that point in time. Right, and if they then have to stop, like they don't have like. A fast pass or something like that. Mm-hmm. Most clubs are still using a cr- where it's like one person uses the credit card machine, then the next person, and then you know, or sometimes they may have a couple. Yeah. Uh, but a lot of clubs don't have a great POS system necessarily to do a quick, mm-hmm. you know, thing. Plus, they have to go get your tab and find it amongst all their other tables. It's a it slows things down. It's a pain in the ass. But if I see somebody doing that and they're like, "Hey, man, we're leaving. Can I get a shirt?" I'm like, ah, can you wait 10 minutes? Nah. Okay, what size? <laughs> <laughs> All right, yeah, talk but to that, me. But I know they're leaving. They're not going back in the room with a shirt, mm-hmm. which would, you know, you know, whatever. It's just they're leaving, they're gone, and that's probably the only opportunity. And right now, I, as, a, as a headliner, I would have no, no issue with a feature doing that. Mm-hmm. 
uh, I have said no. Oh, have you? If it was someone that was like rude or disrespectful to the host or something, mm-hmm. or was like heckling during my set, like annoyingly, <laughs> like because there's a sometimes some sometimes a heckle can be good. Here's the thing: we don't tell ever tell crowds that because we don't want them to, uh, <laughs> to like, try it's like it. Too much power, yeah. But sometimes every now and then it's a great moment, <laughs> especially for a live show. It's not something that's in your act, but it's a moment that in that moment is huge. There was a guy one night, and I will never forget this exact show because it was the first time I think Chick McGee had ever seen me do stand-up because he came into the room, I guess, uh, maybe five minutes before I was going on. It was also, I think, my first feature weekend at Crackers downtown in Indy. And they told me right before I went on, like Chick McGee just walked in. I don't know why they told me that, by the way. Like, I know it was probably just because, like, oh, hey, check it out. Somebody who's, like, you know, locally famous or nationally famous is here. But it was, like, you told me right before I went on stage. Mm-hmm. That could, it didn't really mess with me or anything. I was, I saw him. Like, I kind of turned back and saw him. And I hadn't really met Chick at that point. Mm-hmm. Um, but then I went on stage, and there was this guy. I'll never forget this. There was this couple sitting at the stage. And it was a packed show. And the guy was just eating nachos the whole time. And he would not react to a single joke of mine. <laughs> He just was eating the nachos. These are good nachos. And I kind of said something about it. He didn't even notice that. <laughs> so then I just started trying. I mentioned how like he hadn't reacted and how I was going to try to get a reaction. He didn't notice any of this, right? He's still just eating. So then I'm like, every joke, I'm just, as soon as I get done, I'm looking at him. Mm-hmm. And his girlfriend or whatever is just dying laughing. And he's still just eating the nachos. So every time he doesn't respond to me, it's funnier, right? Yeah. And then I keep going. I keep going. Finally, I'm at towards the end of one joke and he finishes the nachos. He pushes like the little uh, tray thing, you know, in front of him. Mm -hmm. And then he sits back and then he looks like up, you know, to the stage. Right. And as he does that, I am standing over staring at him with a huge smile on my face. And I go, morning, sunshine. Welcome (laughs) to the show. And just fucking whole place lose their mind. Now. That is not something I want to happen every show. Right. You know, I don't want any type of distraction, period. That's honestly, that I made that a distraction more than he did. Yeah. Uh, he's just eating his nachos. But that's it what, worked out perfectly for that instance in that night. That's why whenever I've gone to a show, I can never sit in that first row. Because I'm always afraid if I'm doing something, the comic on stage is going to notice. I and I'm going like to become part of the act. I secretly want that, though. No. Really? Yeah. When we went to the WTF event a couple that's of months different. ago where did you sit that's different where did you sit I, we sat in the first row yeah, yeah yeah and that is not my style <laughs> i do not like independent that's wrestling like that, that's wrestling not comedy i i want to sit front row for like something like raw or nba game you know why because i know i am not going to be a part of this <laughs> they aren't bringing me in they aren't doing anything with me it is just a really close seat independent shows you never know what's going to happen Comedy shows same way. I wouldn't want to watch any comic live in the first few rows because mm-hmm. uh, I would feel weird because it's like, what are they going to do if they do like the whole, so what do you do? Yeah. Fuck, same thing you do. <laughs> Move on. <laughs> oh, shit. Like, okay, not awkward. you then. How about you? What do you do? That's the, You know, I would probably lie. I would be like telecommunications because I know about that and... It would be just, I don't think I would have, I don't think I could say a comedian. You would work with the comic. No, I would try to be as boring as possible, but, but, 
But like I would if he asked me stuff, I would answer, but I would try not to be funny or interesting just so he would move on. Because mm. I know that's like oh, it's almost like a, like a T-Rex. You just got to stay still. <laughs> you're just, just like a cat based on movement. You're just sitting still. Yeah. Not moving at all. Just, just moving your eyes. Telecommunications. Around. Nope. Just a telemarketer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Everybody hangs up on me. Yeah. No, you know that they a, a good comic would turn that into a joke in itself. What, it, being an audience member? No, no. I mean, if they were, if the comic on stage, somebody told them uh, that they were in telecommunications. No, honestly, I think a good comic would move on because you're into a telemarketing joke in 2018. First of all, that was done to death in the 90s. Tom Mabe did it better than everybody by actually recording them, and so you're like, it's just such. Unless you're which, coming which, out with something which, amazing. Which, to my point, it's 2018, and you're still doing telemarketing. You well, know, no, you, I, first of all, I said telecommunications, telemarketing. Well, the same and thing. And yeah, it actually does still exist. It's just, you know, it's a, it's, it's more or less uh, re- upgrading people's AT&T packages that they currently have. Mm-hmm. See how un- interesting that is? <laughs> AT&T, what the hell? Had them one time. No. Oh my! That was your that was your comic impression there. Uh-huh. That was that was your open mic. Uh-huh. We have to get you on stage at a real open mic. No, we don't. I will go incognito in disguise <laughs> and take you to crackers, and I will uh, I will be there with like one of those. I'll get one of those like glasses with the eyebrows and the big nose with the mustache. <laughs> um. Anyways, okay. So anyways, staying up live in Huntsville. I feel like we've gone way too far off into this heckling thing. But stand up live in Huntsville, <laughs> like that's the kind of club. If somebody would have been heckling and out of control, I don't. I don't. No one did. Like I don't think there was ever any issue. But I have a feeling if someone would were to be loud, they would be taken care of immediately. Like it's basically what I found out about this place was none of those people were even from Huntsville. Like uh, was the manager. The manager I believe lived in England. He told me. Oh, the people for a little there. while, and then I believe New York. He seemed like a New York guy. Or an East Coast guy, like a, like a, maybe a Boston or somewhere around there, whatever. But uh, uh, the the guy who was like the sound person and uh, th- like basically the, hey, if you need anything guy, his mm-hmm. name is Tom. Every club needs a Tom. He's a former comic, first of all, so he gets it. And he's funny himself, so he's fun to be around. And he's super nice and very helpful with everything. Um, and then... The uh, the cook, like the guy who's the head chef, chef, uh, was from uh, Chicago, I believe, and went to like a culinary school in Chicago. And so you have basically all these people who come together to run this club in Huntsville. I told him like when I was like, "You guys are like the Justice League." <laughs> it's like Batman went and rounded up everybody, and you guys are all down here running a successful comedy club. And it's like I felt. Awkward because I kept just thanking them and telling them how great they were to where I'm like, this can't sound sincere anymore. But it's like you guys have no idea. I've just I've gone through so much recently with, you know, comedy clubs and everything else. And this whole thing has become such a focus of conversations I've had with other comedians that I'm noticing it like to where not I'm not even the one bringing it up anymore. At first, I wouldn't, you know, after uh, Dusty and I talked, I kind of was going to people and asking and then I kind of, you know. Uh, when I stopped, I started noticing it was coming up naturally. You know, just people, I think comics are starting to get to a point. It's why you see so many of the independent shows thriving now. Mm-hmm. House shows and shows and, and venues uh, alternative to comedy clubs because 
Comedy club is like kind of like you know, like Rome, like Rome. Like they've they've been dominant and they've been an empire for so long that they've always had all the power. And now people with Netflix, YouTube, everything else are going. Well, we can get it. We have other ways to get famous. Mm-hmm. We don't necessarily need you. Right. But me personally, I like working in a club. Mm-hmm. And when a club is run right, like they did in Huntsville, it's amazing. And it's just as a comic, you appreciate it so much. If you're unless you're like now, I'm sure there's a lot of guys that probably still take it for granted because they get to work those type of clubs every week. Right. I'm still grinding, so I work a. I work a, most of the places I've worked now. I I like I like you know like I kind of stopped taking work from places I didn't like working unless the money was something I couldn't turn down. Mm-hmm. Uh, over probably the past year, I've limited more of the more of those. So unfortunately, created a lot of holes, but I've been happier. Mm-hmm. Um, so I have I haven't had too much bad luck, but there's the the, the few that get it's it's a long weekend when it's not good. I'm um, sure. So thank you, uh, Huntsville Live. You need to go check them out. And uh, my friend Stephanie, uh, who used to work at Crackers here in Indianapolis, now works for Harley Davidson there. Uh, she came out and brought a friend, and they were awesome and very supportive. And that whole town seems to be around this club. Like, uh, I was going through Tinder just because that's – we talked about this before with my Tinder thing. I use it like a game. You know, when I get a match, it's a point. If they're not a spam or a sex bot, that's yeah. another point. But I did notice, like, I would start talking to people because I'd get bored late at night and just message people. Yeah. And I noticed pretty much everyone I was messaging around there when I was like, oh, yeah, well, they're like, what are you doing here? I'm like, oh, I'm a comedian at Stand Up Live. Like, oh, I've heard really good things about that place. They've only been around a year and a half, by the way. Well, that's good. That's amazing. And especially when you look at the wall of signatures in that green room, the names are fucking insane. So they for being around a year and a half. Are they just are the comics just going in and just autographing the walls? Well, they want you to. Yeah, well, that's what I mean. Yeah, I've signed it twice now, <laughs> but I make my mine's always very small. And it's just my name, and I do my name with a backwards D just to look dumb. <laughs> but it's uh, Nate Bargatze was on there. Uh, Corey Holcomb wrote on the door. I know you gonna bomb, little fake ass comic, which is the greatest thing ever. Wrote it on the door that you walk out of to go on stage. It's the greatest thing. There's a picture on uh, my Instagram about it, but it was uh, the the wall was insane. Like JP Sears, you ever heard of him? No. I bet at one point you've seen one of his videos. He has long red hair, uh, or like orangish hair. He's a ginger. He's a thin guy, uh, and he does those videos, kind of making fun of like gluten free people, making fun of like if vegetarian if meat if people who ate meat were like vegetarians uh he does videos kind of mocking the whole spiritual i may have seen something it's he's so fucking funny he's so fucking funny i love those videos and i saw he had started doing some kind of public speaking stand-up-ish type things and i had reached out to him about being in indianapolis and seeing if maybe you know i could get one you know crackers or somebody to book him and he sent me back a personal video message. Oh, really? Like on Facebook message. Yeah, call me by surprise. Like, ah, holy shit. <laughs> it felt like, he, like he addressed me by name and everything and was talking. But he had signed that play. He had been there. Mm-hmm. Which to me shows like, oh, these guys are really, really watching comedy. Yeah. And paying attention. And I bet those shows sold out. Because he's got a huge following on YouTube. But anyways, they, yeah. The, and then when you look at the names that are coming up, it's even crazier. Like it's all, every week it's a great show. They're great comics. Hmm. As for someone who does comedy, like I recognize more names than probably even a lot of people would. Right. But it doesn't matter because there's big names that everyone's going to recognize. And then, I, like, the names that I see that people may not, in between, 
are I'm like, oh, those are great. Yeah. And that's how you have a successful club. Mm-hmm. Treat the comics nice, treat the customers right, uh, and put on a good show every night. You have the big famous names that come in, and sometimes they may not even be the best, but it's fine because they're going to sell tickets. And then in between, when people come on a night that's not a famous person, you make sure it's a hell of a show. That's how you have a steady audience. Mm-hmm. And they're doing it 100% right. So anyways, now, speaking of stand-up, let's move on to uh, a Netflix, a new Netflix special by who? Uh, this was from, let's see, Hannah Gab- Gadsby. She's got a show on Netflix called Nanette. I'm assuming that's it's special. Yeah, it's special. This this was an article I sent to you uh, that a friend of the show, well, he may not really listen to this show, but he listens to our other show, uh, Mike Whitcliffe. I just broke my door. Um, maybe you shouldn't go outside while we're recording. I was just going to open it to give it. I don't know if they can hear you, but he just broke his, his back door. His back door. Yes, we can. I can hear you. Uh, anyhow, uh, he posted this article from uh, the website Slate.com uh, talking about a uh, stand. It's the headline is Stand Up Tragedy. Hannah Gatsby's Nanette shows how comedy is broken and leaves us to pick up the pieces. Basically, um, talking about. I'm I'm guessing she had she's had some kind of issues or whatever. I ended up sending you the article and saying. I'm interested to hear what your thoughts are after watching the special because it sounded like um, from the way the article was written that that comedy is is broken and you know there's you know she just goes on and just well, hold on first of all anyone that listens to any of the other shows in the uh, Brad Scott Podomatic Cinematic Universe is aware of what you just did there uh, which was classic Corey. Uh, I think everybody probably caught what I did, which was uh, I saw this article. I told Brad, hey, you should do more work so we have content for the show. Did you watch the special? No, I haven't. I just did saw the article today. Did you read the article? I read mo- uh, about half oh of it. Oh, my. Classic Corey right there. Yeah. Yep. You should you should uh, watch the special and do all the work uh, because I'm interested in what you have to say. Not interested in like what, but okay. So anyway, so here I want to. Here's where I want to start. I'll give you my thoughts mm-hmm. on the special here sh- soon. But what I thought I want. Here's how I wanted to start this. Mm-hmm. I wanted to actually talk to you about it. Okay. So you read, and I got, I got a taste for kind of how you feel about it. But I want to give you a platform. What are your thoughts on this special? That. Go ahead. On this special, I didn't like, watch well, it for what you know of it, though. The whole uh, situation around it, it, I guess, maybe. To me... Why did you find this interesting, and why did you want to know my thoughts? Well, I wanted to know your thoughts because you are a comic. And for them, in the article, saying how this one p- comic feels like um, the comedy scene is, I guess, it, for lack of other words, broken or whatever. And this is what I kind of get... Th- I read this either yesterday or this morning. I honestly don't remember a lot you of read it. half of this yeah yesterday or this morning yeah so but because anyhow. i don't think the article was even necessarily about the state of comedy it was more about this particular special and how this special was different and it was her experiences and how her special is is broken comedy okay maybe i, don't I think it maybe was i misunderstood it then. yeah i don't think it was necessarily saying comedy in itself is broken 
it was more or less saying that like this is a different type of special it's important uh her story is important so but i felt a little bit i felt a little bit of the uh uh like Corey's kind of lost on the Me Too movement because he missed Me One. He didn't see, <laughs> so he's kind of lost here. Uh, he got he like I think and I and he, here's what I because I knew you hadn't watched the special, mm-hmm. and I knew you hadn't really read the whole article. Like I knew you were just sending me this to be like you need to just tell me about this and I'll respond. I I sent it to you and and wanted your thoughts because you are a comic and maybe you could give your opinion from a comic's perspective. I know, but it's also funnier if we phrase it the way of like you trying to get out of work at the same time. Now you sound offensive. But the reason I think it's is because I think both parts because I think this is a story that is going to do that though. People are going to look at this and dismiss it as like they'll say it's not comedy, I think. Because I'm guessing like from what I read because here's the, I didn't watch the special. <laughs> I just wanted an honest reaction from you, and I wanted an honest thought. But I read that entire article, and I then went on Twitter and read a lot of stuff that had been said about the special. Mm-hmm. I read a lot of the quotes from the special, so I got the gist of what the special was about. I didn't not watch it because I feel like that's not comedy. Blah blah blah. Yeah. I did not watch it because I watched like four comics. <laughs> I really only watched like four comics and they're the same pretty much four comics. If it's not live mm-hmm. and I haven't, or I haven't worked with someone. I mean, as far as like comics, I don't know personally. I really only will sit and usually watch like Bill Burr, uh, before everything, Louis CK, Tosh, uh, Chris Rock, Chappelle, um, now, there's a lot of female comics I do like, but I've worked with most of them. I'm not a big Amy Schumer fan uh, of her stand-up as much anymore. I've liked it, but it's not something I would seek out. And I haven't watched any of her last few specials. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, if Helen Hong has a special on Netflix, I love Helen Hong. Mm-hmm. But I've also seen her live. Yeah. And that's not, a, that's not a gender thing. It is not a whatever thing. It is a – that's how it is with male comics, too. Yeah. You know, I haven't watched Bo Burnham's special. I haven't watched – in, everyone that I've always heard about, Tom Segura, I haven't watched his special. Jim Jeffries, I haven't watched his special. Yeah. Because here's the thing. I don't, I feel like her special, what's her name again? I'm sorry. Oh, really, shit. I don't just, know. I just I found all this out, out today. I, I closed it out already. Well, You'll open have it back to up. Got to do my passcode. Hannah something. Well, let's have it correct. Okay. It is Hannah Gatsby. Because it says the the headline uh, on the link it says Hannah Gatsby's Nanette is a future a uh, funeral for stand up comedy, that's what originally caught my caught but my I'm, attention. But again, I think most of this article is referring to her special. Okay. Um, I don't think they're talking about stand up in general. Because here's the thing: no, it's not. It's it's like Barstool is thriving. There's still there's a there's a comedy, there is comedy for everyone. I mean, we it's literally the tagline of this show is if you don't think we're funny, remember comedy is subjective. It's because this show is funny and interesting to a certain group and other people would listen and go, these guys are fucking dumb and this is not entertaining and not funny. Right. That's the beauty of comedy. It also doesn't take itself too seriously. Mm-hmm. It's what I love comedy. It's why I think comedy awards are dumb mm-hmm. because it's literally going against everything comedy is supposed to be, which is just not taking things seriously. Now, she talks about serious issues and does it in a humorous way that then towards the end from what I read gets more 
of just a kind of confession and a serious thing. She talks about not wanting to do stand up anymore and everything else. So, like, it sounds like it's a really good special. I don't know if I'll watch it. Yeah. I And it's, again, it has nothing to do with the issues or anything else like that. I am happy she got a special. I'm happy she's getting all this attention because I consider her a co-worker. Yeah. You know, she's another comic. I'm mm-hmm. sure she's done shows that I don't know her story, but I'm sure she's done shitty shows before. So I can relate on those levels. And I don't ever want to, you know, I don't ever want to take down someone who's being successful mm-hmm. or doing good things. Uh but I see where I think this is going to be divisive because I see a lot of the reaction on social media. And I think both sides are guilty of the same thing, which is empathy towards the other side. So you have one side, which is usually a lot of progressive people who I think just don't know how to articulate, you know, their intentions because I think a lot of them are saying like, hey, straight white guys who think that all this stuff is nonsense and blah, blah, blah. You should watch this because it will hopefully like her experiences and hearing it firsthand from her will maybe change some of your minds, mm-hmm. which is a good thing. OK. If you're someone who is close minded to something, if it was a subject I was close minded to, I'd probably check it out just to see the other side. Uh-huh. But I, I'm guessing I probably agree with everything she said. And it's probably a hor- she probably went through a lot of horrible shit because she did. She was a lesbian in a country that doesn't treat gay people that well. Mm-hmm. I, I, I'm saying it that way because I'm not to try to minimalize it, but because I don't remember the exact details of where exactly she's from and the treatment she received. Mm-hmm. But I know it wasn't good. So good for her to have a way to get that out. Right. And express that pain. Mm-hmm. And if it gives a message to people and opens people's eyes, that is 100% awesome. That is amazing. I feel like we should all be a little more progressive and empathetic towards the other side. Because I'm, I understand that, like, I have never raped or sexually assaulted someone or I have never oppressed a minority or shot a minority or anything like that. But I'm aware a lot of people that look and have the same qualities like me mm-hmm. have. You know what I mean? Right. So I think instead of, like, coming back, that is combative. Because that's what happens. That side says, hey... It's always cis white males, right? Right. And so a collection of, like, cis white males who who don't feel that way feel attacked when Mm -hmm. they shouldn't. They're not talking about you or I. Right. They're talking about the rich. Most of the time it's the rich white guys, by the way, which we all should be against. Yeah. Because they're the ones fucking all of us over. But we lose track of that. We lose sight of that. We want to make it a battle between us and them. It shouldn't be. For one... There should be on the other side, it should be more of an empathetic thing of like, man, I'm kind of marginalizing and attacking a group of people for minimalizing and marginalizing and attacking a group of people. Right. It's like fighting fire with fire. Mm -hmm. And that's, like I said, I'm empathetic and I understand why, where it comes from. I understand why black people don't trust white people more than, you know, I think white people shouldn't trust black people. I understand Mm -hmm. because black people, for the most part, a lot of them have gone through their lives with seeing people that look and sound and are just like me doing bad things. Mm -hmm. So I get that. So I try to give a lot of benefit of the doubt in those situations. Like, hey, I've been part of a group that's done some bad shit and has basically pushed other people down to ensure people that look like me stay on top. And that's not right. So 
I like I think the better way that you get those people to change their minds about us is showing them, hey, we understand and we're on your side. We're against the people that feel that way. Instead of just being defensive of us as a group, we need to understand that they're going after a select part of our group and we need to show alignment with what's right as opposed to just defending things we don't have to defend. Mm -hmm. Like if you have not done, a if you're not a horrible straight white guy, you should have no reason to feel attacked when groups like that come in. But again, I think the verbiage used right. is where that attack feels like, right? Because mm -hmm. it's usually from the other side of just, it feels like it's just they're lumping all straight white guys together, uh -huh. which again makes any group defensive. Mm -hmm. So maybe if they could be able to communicate, hey, we're talking about this group, they need to blah, blah, blah. You know, almost like a, you're cool. Yeah. We're talking about, like, I think we just need to establish that more. Mm hmm. Um, and on the other side, like the people on our side need to, to be empathetic and understand that they're they're coming from a place of compassion and good. They're not saying all these things because they hate us. They hate people like us who have treated uh, those groups poorly. Right. Right. Does yeah. that make any sense? It makes sense. Yeah. Like, I think communication is a huge part of society that we should work on more than other things. Because I think if we had better communication, we'd be better off. Like, I think a lot of times things get lost in just the way people try to address situations. And I, and I, no, I was going to say, I think a lot of that comes down to uh, people wanting to be too PC about things. And so they rephrase things. And then I think that might be where it gets lost sometimes a little bit. I'm well, not saying all the time, but there are. Well, and there also could be intent is a big thing. Right. We need to start looking at intent again. Um, because. If someone says something to be funny, that might be hurtful to someone. If they're saying it to be funny, not to be hurtful or right. whatever, it, like to me, I'm a, I always give people a pass. Mm -hmm. People can say whatever they want about me, and there is a lot to choose from. Mm -hmm. As long as I know the intention is to be funny. Don't I know? Right. No, there is a lot. <laughs> uh, we could go through the short list of uh, I am now a failed comedy club manager uh, <laughs> before ever putting on a show. Uh, I technically I'm not a, I don't think I'm a failed comedian We've talked about this before I just don't think I've been given a chance to succeed yet Because every time I've been given something I've done fine with it You know mm -hmm. um, But you could look at my career as a whole as a failure uh, There's a lot of things There's just a lot Yeah. Uh, my Physically there's so much now oh, tell me I've about been wearing it. hats on stage Just because I'm noticing The, uh, the, uh, the thinning Oh yeah I call it the thinning uh, the hair can look good from certain angles, but certain jokes when I drop the head. Yeah, ooh. I think we got a uh, a fake fake movie trailer on there with that the thinning. You wake up the one thinning. morning, you you wake oh. up one morning, you're I tell groggy, you what, man. Look in the mirror. I used to just think because like when I grew my hair out probably ten years ago when I had like thick luscious hair and I grew like there's a there's one photo of me playing poker somewhere. I think it was at someone's house and. My hair is so long mm -hmm. compared to what I've had it over the past few years. I don't think I've seen it that long. Oh, it was really long. Like, really long. In fact, I used to get... Like, I don't know why, honestly, I ever cut it, to be honest. I was I was getting a lot more attention. Like, girls used to just constantly run their ha hands through my hair all the time. I'd be playing poker, or I'd be at a bar after a show or something, and girls would just constantly be doing that. Um, <laughs> but then... But so, like, I was used to seeing little bits of hair when I'd wash my hair or something because my hair was mm -hmm. so long. 
And then it started happening when like the hair was like this length now. Yeah. Not that long. And I was just like, oh, no, this is not supposed to like these aren't just stragglers that, you know, got pushed out of the group. Mm -hmm. These are guys who are holding on for dear life. Like it was the opening scene of Cliffhanger <laughs> and just falling out to the drain. So I started wearing hats to look younger. How's but, that working uh, out for you? Uh, I don't know. I kind of like it. It gives me another place that I can, you know, showcase part of my personality. You know, they say your hair falls out faster if you wear hats. That's a myth. Is it? I looked that up online one day. And everything you read online is true. No, I don't. But I'm not you. I don't just go to the first Facebook story that's an Onion article <laughs> nobody's noticed. I, I, I go to like multiple sources to try to get a consensus from uh <laughs> Plus, nowadays, they've made it even easier because now there's like sites that are just like, look, we found, by the way, uh, Snopes, right. greatest website ever. Mm -hmm. I have told my mom so many times, she will send me like a random article about something and I'll just send her back an article from Snopes that says, nope, that's all bullshit. And then you got people that say the Snopes isn't real. Snopes is the most pure thing we have in the world. If Snopes is not, if Snopes is on, is biased and, and not real, then I give up yeah. on life. So anyways, I think if both sides had a better way of expressing what they wanted to accomplish, we would be better off. But I'm not going to I haven't watched the special because, again, I don't really watch comedy specials anymore. Yeah, like it's just not so like I also don't want to be influenced by anyone. For I comedy. can understand that because it's just it's such a big deal in our business to be original mm -hmm. and to not be sounding or trying to be like anyone else. At least if you accidentally tell a joke similar to what somebody else did you could say look i don't watch stand-up specials so yeah I and i'm no not idea. i'm not good enough to pull off the the material that the guys i watch do right because people would just go oh you're not that good <laughs> but there is something you watched recently that uh, you shared on our facebook page yeah i rewatched it because i don't remember what i got me thinking about it but it to me is the greatest stand-up set in the history of comedy it is a notorious stand-up set from, what was that, 2007 or eight? I don't know. Somewhere around there, maybe six, between like 2006 and eight. And I remember when this happened, and I remember finding out about it. It was in the earlier days of YouTube, and I remember finding this YouTube video and just being blown away as a comic by like, like oh my God, this is, it's, Every comic has been there, I think. It's the Bill Burr Philadelphia incident. Mm -hmm. I consider it the greatest stand-up set in history because he literally walked on stage to a chorus of booze. And a lot of guys would would either try to win the crowd over or they would go into their act, right? Right. And he decided that based on how long the crowd had been rowdy, heckling upset loud and based on where he was going up in the show late that he was just not going to deal with it and he was just going to spend his probably did a 15 minutes it's probably 15 minutes it was like 15 because he kept counting down well that and i think like it felt like yeah because he starts i think the starts the countdown at 11 yeah so i'm guessing he yeah. did go from five to three to four though. well i mean he it wasn't like necessarily a real countdown. no I, just, I realized it that. became a, a recurring yeah. callback so anyways this crowd is horrible and they're booing and he just goes off i mean he lays into them he is it's i've gotten to that i'm i've gotten to that point where you can just say the most fucked up things 
that you can think of. Mm-hmm. Dave Landau, I know, can get to that point. Uh, a lot of comics uh, have and can get to that point. Certain comics can't. A uh, friend of the show and uh, uh, Indianapolis comedian Brent Hume. I don't think I've ever seen him ever really go at anyone in the crowd. I don't think I've ever seen him angry. Yeah. Like, I, th- I, it's, yeah, it's more just frustration. Yeah. That's like fleeting. But I don't think I've ever seen him go at someone in the crowd, you know? Right. I'm sure he probably has to some extent, but not like me, where, ironically enough, maybe this is why I thought of that. My last set at Crackers, my la- you know what the last thing I said on stage at Crackers Comedy Club was? I could think of some things, but no, I don't. Go fuck yourselves. I, I was I was right in the flipping off a big group of people who decided, who had pretty much loved me, and by the way, ended up buying a couple of shirts afterwards. It's one of those situations. <laughs> After the show, though, would never have sold them anything during. But anyways, uh, they, uh, yeah, they just decided my last five minutes they were gonna fucking just get loud, and start yelling and heckling me, and I had no clue why because they had been on my side and loved me the whole show yeah and then all of a sudden my last five minutes maybe that's what just when the tipping point or something but they just got it was i think one girl that kind of started everything and then the rest of them were just kind of really drunk but the girls are super loud and annoying and everything else and i went back and forth with them a little bit and then i just finally was like oh i'm fucking running out of time i got cut short so i did my t-shirt pitch and then that's literally like i was getting an applause from the crowd like the rest of the crowd loved me uh but i just literally Go fuck yourselves. And I was like, you know, that's my time. Thank you. And go fuck yourselves. And I flipped them off, you know, and then the crowd got even louder for that because they were annoyed with them, too. <laughs> that's the thing. That's the best feeling in the world, by the way. When you have the patch of people who are being disruptive and the rest of the crowd is enjoying the show. Right. So they're on your side and they will turn on them. Ugh. Mm. But the worst feeling is when you start that way and then you say the thing that's too far and the rest <laughs> of the crowd's like, oh, OK. Yeah. We need to re. We uh, realign our priorities here in our. Uh... Well, in retrospect, for them to to do that during that during that last show, basically, um, it was kind of the wrong time to do that for them. I didn't know it was my last show. No, I know. <laughs> so it was ne- not necessarily. It was just more of also. I was exhausted that week. I know. That was another one of those weeks where, like, with popcorn and everything else going on, I went like three days where I got like three hours of sleep, mm-hmm. and so. I'm not good in that situation. I've been monitoring and making sure I've been getting more rest lately because I've been having this tendency to just work work to a point where then I'll fall asleep for a couple hours, you know? Mm-hmm. And then, like, Harper will wake me up something in the morning or whatever. I'll, the sun beats in and I can't sleep. And I get up and just, instead of, like, maybe taking another nap or going to bed earlier the next night, I'm just like, oh, but I get on a roll mm-hmm. with, you know, all these free things I'm doing that don't make me any money, <laughs> but I'm putting all my heart and energy into. But anyway, let's get back to Bill Burr, because this okay, is, yeah, this yeah, is yeah. such a great set. So, highlights the glass shards into the pimpled, acne-filled back mm-hmm. that he then slaps, and that's how you enjoy the show. I think probably, though, my favorite line of the entire thing was six minutes left, and I will be selling my CD after the show. <laughs> God. I've always liked Bill Burr. Oh, everybody does. That's a, it's like almost becoming a cle- he like he's very careful though. He's almost becoming the new Louis, where just universally everyone loves him, and then we're gonna find out something horrible. Oh uh, yeah. But no, I feel like he's a, 
I feel like a lot of people like him because he becomes he's so, he seems sincere, which is weird because he's from Boston and I you know we got this hatred towards uh, you know the Patriot fans which is Boston. Who's we? Well, okay. I don't I don't I don't participate in that stuff anymore. Oh yeah. My team has not been relevant enough to have that rivalry. Oh okay. To where I can jokingly hate Patriots fans. I can't even jokingly do it anymore. Mm. They've they've they they won. <laughs> they won one Super Bowl. One? You Oh 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 you said we. Okay. Colts. Colts yeah, I don't yeah. even like people saying we. I know. I, was gonna say I only say that with the heat because I put my dedication into that team. Oh okay, so that's different. Colts it's they. Yeah. I mean I'm a fa- that's my team, I'm I'm a fan, but they. I'm not as invested in the NFL. Anyways, we've talked about that too much. <laughs> what was your favorite part? Um, I just like the fact that he just kept on going. He just kept finding ways to just uh, basically they were a heckler and he was dealing with them as a heckler as a whole. Yeah. Well, and, no, 100%. Yeah. And and I like that. You know, I as somebody I I don't, you know, watch every stand-up special. I do watch a lot and um I get it. I as somebody who who does watch him, I get it that he maybe there's some seriousness in there, but at the same time he's still trying to get laughs. You know, Who? maybe Bill. Like through it, that? Yeah. No. You don't he, No. That was 100% fuck these people. I don't care. I'm just going to say horrible things. He's just naturally funny. That's what I mean. I mean, I think he he's also doing it. I don't know. I don't I obviously I didn't say it i'm not him i don't know him i can't say that how much of that was 100 percent authentic you know i'd say 100 you think 100 percent, but you don't think there was just a little bit in there trying to get you know not no he's just not dude i've said every comic's been in this situation where you kind of just turn on the crowd and because they're not giving any response and it's their fault like there's a lot of comics that turn on the crowd too early you know like two people heckle and then all of a sudden they're just berating everyone and it's like you can't do that. Mm-hmm. But there's certain times where it's the crowd's fault. Yeah, the I, club knows it, the venue knows it, so you just turn on them, and like everybody kind of just goes, "I get it," you know. And the people that have been paying attention, they understand. Mm-hmm. And to me, that was 100% authentic. Fuck these people. I've been watching them boo for you know probably. I think he was saying three and nine hours, but it was probably a couple hours Yeah, into a show. I think that was him just saying, fuck you. Well, where I was going with that was I don't take offense to it. I know I'm sure a lot of people will be like, oh, that's so that's so offensive. I can't believe they'd say that. But no, no, no. It's just the language he used. Because at that point in time, that stuff wasn't the red flag it is now. Mm-hmm. It's like I think he may have been the one that has the joke of uh, it was either him or CK or somebody has a joke of uh, when I was growing up fag didn't mean gay mm-hmm. it meant my friend's an idiot yeah you know uh and now it has a whole nother connotation same thing with retarded mm-hmm. it's a word that now is a is a red flag word that people go ooh and get you know it's like a, it's yeah. a cringe word but back 10 years ago even it was it had a whole different it had a whole different meaning and it was more socially acceptable to call people that right you know um, which is weird. Like I, that's why I don't think that word is the same as like the N word, because mm-hmm. the N word was literally used that's by where primarily by no 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 primarily by one group of people. That's well, that's for what I mean. one group of people. Exactly, that's what I mean. That's the where other words, like it was like they be 
they became worse because people just, it's like people weren't responsible with them. Mm-hmm. You know, like I said, we talked to uh, Carl from Indie Popcon who is gay, and he kind of felt the same way that he said growing up, fag didn't mean gay to him. Mm-hmm. It meant dumb, yeah. idiot. Um, but yeah, it's not the same thing. Like people, people, like multiple groups of people were using that word to describe a group of people, which is almost worse, I guess. Yeah. But at the same time, it's just, to me, I still don't think it has quite, like, if you're doing a power rankings, hard R N words, the ultimate, Mm -hmm. like, derogatory word, right? Right. Probably. And then I'd say, would you, I'd say, probably, I'd say, the fag and retarded would be like a, like a, like, I can still say them. I think I can still say them. And one of them is, by the way, one of them is scientifically an actual thing. I think that one of those words add on the GOT at the end. That would even go up higher than, than that's those what two. it is. Hold on. No, sorry. But th- that's what it is that those words weren't used to describe those people. Mm-hmm. You see what I'm saying? Right. Like, I didn't call. I would never have called a mentally challenged person retarded or mm-hmm. said they're being retarded. Right. You know what I mean? Like to me, that would have been offensive. Mm-hmm. I said that to my friend who was 100% mentally capable. Mm-hmm. So it was my intent wasn't to slander someone with a with a derogatory term. It was just a term I had, you know, grown up with at a different time. Mm-hmm. Which I think South Park did a whole episode on that. I wouldn't be surprised. It was the episode with the bikers. I didn't see They're that like, one. yeah, they're fags. And then they're like, oh, yes. everybody's like, oh my god, one. you guys hate gay people. And they're like, no, we love gay people. Yeah. Gay people aren't fags. You know what I mean? Like it's it's that's that's the generational gap there. Yeah. My daughter will look at those words the same way we probably look at the N-word a little bit. Mm-hmm. Just because that generation of her generation will be at a point in time where, who knows? And then, But like, isn't that weird, though? I mean, no. in, in terms because of words, when you break it. it all down. People couldn't handle it. People started using it too much to actually describe gay people. And it became a hateful thing towards gay people. It made gay, fe- gay people feel like the person using it was being hateful. No, so but we I have mean, to concede it. Because it's not us. No, not but well, what I mean is the way it's just transitioned. Because you know, a group of people used it so much in a hate way. Yeah, we that, have to concede. Yeah, I'm, but isn't it weird though? I mean, no. when you think about it, ultimately, no, because that's just it's one of those things that like we probably should have realized it was it was an issue back then, but. A lot of gay people, for one, were afraid to even be out of the closet. Mm-hmm. And two, it wasn't nearly as widespread with social media and everything. Yeah. Now we've seen what that word has done to people. And it's like, okay, we got to give that one up. Yeah. And I'm fine with it. No, I don't care. I, don't, I have adjusted I don't. and found new things to insult my friends with. Oh, yeah. You know? And uh, then pretty soon those will be outlawed, too. Then we have to find new ones. Uh, nah. Depends. Unless they're just words like you just made up. <laughs> like fucking idiot is what I usually go with now. Yeah. Which is like kind of like now if we're at a point where we're saying like, well, we got to protect idiots. <laughs> you lose me there. There is a group of people in this nation uh, that are idiots. I'm surprised you haven't shared that. that bully video. Have you seen that from The Daily Show where the dude does the song about we need bullies because there's a child that identifies as a werewolf? And it's, like, <laughs> it's fucking stupid. I know. It's a great point. I just worry in the wrong hand. It's going to be like, <laughs> yeah, see, these fucking transgender and gays don't know what they're doing. It's like, oh, no, that's not what he meant. <laughs> he just meant the ridiculous. Yeah, but you can't say you're an animal. <laughs> 
It's literally impossible. I'm a rock. Uh, but yeah, we need to be more accepting. We need to be like we got it. That's what it's what comes back to what we were talking about earlier. Just empathy and understanding and communicating better. Hey, we don't hate you. We don't. We just hate the way a group of you acts. Yeah, which makes 100 percent sense. Every group has that. Every race, every creed, religion, you know, sexual preference. Every all of them have it. Everyone has that group that they hate in the, within themselves mm-hmm. that give everybody a bad look. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, ours is the biggest group, so we're gonna have the loudest voices of fucking idiots. Right. <laughs> see what I did there? Yeah, I see that. And I think it's a good place to stop. It's, uh, I'm trying to think. Is there anything else? No, I didn't have anything. I generally don't. The one thing I actually did come with, uh, uh, y- we talked about. So it's uh. It's, uh, it's, oh, you know, let me do some show promotions real quick. Okay. So this Thursday, I'll be in Prestonburg, Kentucky. Just go- Where is that at? Prestonburg, Kentucky. Mm-hmm. Kentucky. Is that like near Louisville? Is it near? I don't, it's five hours away from here, so probably not. No. Probably South Louisville. But you can look up online. I don't remember the name of the place. Let me find it. I have the, I have the. the Just check bradscottcomedy.com. No, no, no. Brad Scott Comedy. That Brad Scott Comedy dot com is just more of a sanctuary. <laughs> you don't update the schedule when there's that many holes. <laughs> I'll be at the Ginny Wiley State Resort Park. I'll be at the tavern at the Ginny Wiley State Resort Park uh, in Prestonburg, Kentucky, this Thursday. Saturday, I'm going to be in. Uh, I'm excited for this show because I'm going to be at. Uh, the what is it the uh, the Legion Post twenty eight in New Albany Indiana. The reason I'm so excited is because I am featuring for my good friend Danny Browning. Talked about him on the show a lot. He's one of the first people who took me on the road. Introduced me to a lot of uh, you know uh, independent bookers that kind of got my uh, career going a while back. So I'm excited to work with him again. Always have a good time. That is this Saturday. I believe there may be still tickets available. They're ten dollars each. You can post you can purchase them at Legion Post twenty eight or online at comedytankproductions.com. And then the twenty eighth, Corey. Mm-hmm. I'm doing a show, but I can't tell you about it. Not even me. Nah, it's a secret. Oh. Uh, well. Part of the Don't Tell Comedy series. Uh check them out online. Recently, by the way, uh endorsed by Jeannie Bus. The uh, Anna Samari, the I Lakers believe that's how you say her name. Uh, she is the sister of a rasshole uh, at Eric Daniel. Okay, yep. And uh, she, uh, yeah, she has invited me to uh, to be on this show with uh, I don't know who else. Honestly, right now, I believe they kind of release uh, that. You know, uh, information. Mm-hmm. And hang on, real quick. He's stumbling folks to look through Facebook, apparently, or Twitter. He's still looking. I'm giving you play by play here. I want to make sure I had his. Uh I want to make sure I had his. Ah. This is why we it's bad to do this on the fly. But that's all right. He changed it though. 
Uh, it's Haku's problem. Wait, because isn't it? Isn't he a hard pass? Who? Eric Daniel. Yeah. A hard pass, I right? I think so. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I was looking for his message because I'm so bad with like keeping track of like names and stuff. But then, uh, I have all these true tweet. Have you seen that? The Twitter verification. Uh, yeah, I know what you're talking about. Yeah, there it is. I had a hard pass. It's, uh, yes, it's, uh, he's, by the way, one of the nicest people. Uh, he's been out at least two or three times since when I was ever, you know, whenever I was an indie, mm-hmm. and he's the one that hooked me up with this. Uh, I met his sister briefly when she was performing with, uh, Terhune. Okay. I, uh, he was one of the people I recommended her to get to open, so I don't know who else is on this show, but these are becoming very popular. So I'm excited to be a part of it. Cool. And uh, I'll give more details when I'm allowed. Like, I'm guessing they're going to give me more details probably the week of. Because mm-hmm. um, these have been like, apparently just selling out everywhere they do them. It's a good idea, by the way. What, they don't give you details? No, they, they, don't they give... do. But the idea is it is like a it's a little bit of like the secret kind of like they rely a lot on social media, I think. Yeah. For like word of mouth and stuff. As opposed to doing traditional marketing campaigns. Yeah. Like, I, it's I, don't tell, but tell everybody when yeah, we tell I, you. I could, I could see where it's like, they don't, do they do they announce who's on the on on the bill? They say that, yeah. Like, if you go read the thing about it, they're like, you know, uh, secret comedians doing secret shows, but then, like, parentheses, it's like, you'll know who's on there and blah, you know? Yeah. Because I think it would be interesting, uh, an interesting gimmick if they didn't mention it, but well, they then kinda, afterwards. They kind of have to because the comics need to promote well, yeah. Oh, yeah. So it's going to get I out anyway. Yeah, it's going to be kind of hard to So, too. but that's the idea, is the comics promote, and then the friends of the comics promote, and the friends, and blah, 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 and then I'm sure they run Facebook advertising or something like that. Yeah. So, it's a really smart idea. Mm-hmm. And anytime you have, like, Jeannie Buss behind it, it's pretty good. Yeah. She just got LeBron. Yeah. So, uh, I'll be a part of that July 28th. That's all I can tell you right now, because that's all I really honestly know. I mean, oh. I know the town and everything, but it's July 28th, and it's in Indiana. Uh, more details probably next week. And then August 8th through the 11th, my uh, my once a year, my annual week in Port Charlotte, Florida at the Sonny Comedy Club, my favorite comedy club in the country. Although Huntsville, Stand Up Live, <laughs> giving it a, a lot of competition. So they're going to have to step their game up in Port Charlotte. But I'm excited to be back there. So that is enough. Self-promotion. Corey, where, where are people going to find you at? Uh, you can just find me on Twitter at uh, NKO Gonzo. Where can they see? Where, where's your next live show? My next live show will be. Um, it's unscheduled right now because. Um, oh, listen to Corey on. Oh, I, I think that was just on general air. I don't think that was actually. I thought you recorded something for. Yeah, but I think she, I think it played on on air. Oh, OK. Well, just listen to KJ on yeah. air and you never know. You might hear Corey. Yeah. He's becoming a friend of that show. Uh, yeah. I've been I've for those that don't know I've been on there a couple times in the last week uh with movie stuff he so finally stopped leeching off of me and Vic, Vic's network and he is building his own yeah he's coming out of his shell and uh yeah we should listen to 106.7 KJ's uh time slot I believe it's 2 to 6 I want to say somewhere around there uh yeah recorded a couple things that have probably already played by the time you hear this so you won't hear me then you won't hear those 
All right. All righty then. That's a great way to derail what we had. Yeah. was a nice wrapped up ending. Yeah, no, it's your fault. It kind of is. I wasn't going to bring that up. It kind of is. So uh, thank you for listening again. I just pressed the first song I saw. This has been the Subjective Comedy Podcast. If you don't think we're funny, remember what, Corey? Comedy is subjective. <laughs> <laughs>